have the the privilege and honor to represent some of the top companies in in, in you know in in Israel. These are companies that like you know they started. I remember a few years ago we sent um, Yotpo, for example. Uh, we sent one person to the U.S. and and look where they are now. You know, amazing, um, amazing. Like you know, you can't. It's undeniable. Like you can't. How could you say that? You know, a company like that hasn't contributed to the economy in the U.S., creating jobs for for hundreds and hundreds of employees. And that's just one example of of many of many. Welcome to Twenty Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by JVentures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley, in partnership with Lomitech, and sponsored by Homeward Ventures, Hippo Insurance, Upwest, Hillel at Stanford, Leap, and Birthright Excel, and in media partnership with CTEC. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders, and we're, today we're going to talk about immigration law. As the world is becoming more globalized, this is becoming a more and more prevalent issue. And today we're going to learn from Jennifer Shear, the founding partner of Shear Immigration Law Firm, a boutique immigration firm in Tel Aviv. SI represents Israeli and foreign corporations ranging from startups through publicly traded companies in securing work authorization for key personnel. SI works closely with local high-tech accelerators and incubators in the international venture capital community with regard to corporate immigration issues and compliance strategies. Jennifer Shearer, welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Michael? Thank you very, very much for joining me, a- an expert in immigration law, working both in Israel and the United States and the intersection and the tech ecosystem. And, and you know, obviously, we've, we've been seeing, you know, the integration of the two uh, places coming together. And we're seeing multinational companies as well as startups interchanging employees in both sides. And this idea of, of this movement is something that has really been, you know, a cultivating piece of the startup nation story. And obviously, there is this whole complex situation behind it, which is the whole issue of immigration and how do we actually deal with with a lot of these people transitioning between the two places and what does this actually mean for the governments? What does this mean for the, for these people, these families, these companies? I'm excited to understand this a little bit better with you. But, but before that, Jennifer, tell me a little bit about yourself and how do you find yourself becoming an expert in immigration law? Um, well, just a quick background about, uh, about myself. Um, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, in a, in a Jewish community. Went to a religious Jewish school my whole life. And um, of course, you're always pushed to go to Israel for at least one year. So I came to yep. do a year abroad program at Bar Ilan University, thinking I'm just coming to do this, uh, this one year, and then I'm, I'm going back to the States. But uh, as with many Olim, or non-intending Olim, uh, I, ended up, I just ended up staying here. Um, so I kind of built my whole professional. This was many, many moons ago. Um, I finished my studies here. I ended up uh, at, a, at a boutique, very randomly being a paralegal at a boutique uh, U.S. immigration firm where I worked for 10 years. Uh, after that, I found myself at probably one of Israel's largest full service commercial firms establishing and running the practice of, of U.S. immigration. And then uh, we just celebrated a cheer at my, my uh, law firm, uh, Sheer Immigration. Uh, our fifth year anniversary. So we're a boutique uh, wow. U.S. immigration firm, and that's how it happened. So what does this actually mean in immigration firm? Well, what, is, what does this entail? Okay, so, um, you know, we, we are um, very, very, very niche. We do corporate immigration. So that basically means companies, uh, primarily companies, 
um, that are establishing a presence in the United States and they need to get work visas and, and green cards for um, for founders and for, mm-hmm. for key employees. So that's the, the majority of our work. We also have a family-based section and a high net worth uh, uh, based private client practice. But I would say that about 90% of our clients are, are tech companies because those are the ones who are, you know, they're getting their investments, they're setting up their subsidiaries, and then they need to it's under really key people, you know, to, to make the investors happy. Right. And so when you're working with the companies and maybe go back and tell me a little bit about the complexity of why do we even need an immigration firm? And why do why, why is this even a, a point of contention that, you know, that we need something, you know, a legal figure to go and assist these companies and all these operations? Okay, got it. Um, so, you know, U.S. immigration um, historically and now more than ever has been very restrictive. Um, we, you know, they, every, a lot of people want to go to the United States. Um, and I feel like, you know, there's not a lot of differentiation when it comes to, you know, the high skilled people and the low skilled people and, and, uh, and so on and so forth. So, um, in order to, um, keep it exclusive, I guess, you know, the rules need to be tight. So, um, you need a lawyer to really, um, help you strategize, especially for tech companies. They're, you know, they're starting with maybe, um, no employees in the United States. They're going on day one, but their primary market is the United States. Um, so there's a myriad of different types of work visas. Some of them are more popular than others for tech companies, um, but it involves a, a process of like building a petition saying why this company is going to contribute to the United States, why we need this person, why they have the skills, the background, the know-how, how they're going to contribute to the economy. Um, and, you know, telling, you know, basically convincing the U.S. immigration authority um, to, to let them in. Um, so that that's why really you need a lawyer. It's not something that that a private individual could could do themselves. It's not like employing employing for a, for a tourist visa, which of course you can do for yourselves. It's it's a process. It's lengthy. It's document intensive, um, and and you really need a, a strategy in place for that, above and beyond the actual legal work itself. Right now, is this something that you knew that you were going to be drawn to from the get go? You know, the specific this type of law practice. Um. Actually, no, it, it wasn't. I originally studied, um, I knew I wanted to go into law, but then I, I'd, I'd originally studied political science and history. Hmm. And even in, despite my 12 years of, of Jewish schooling in the States, uh, I wasn't ready back then to go right into, into law school in Israel, um, simply because everything was, was in Hebrew. Um, so I, I finished the, you know, my poli sci and I was like, what am I going to do? And I was working at this high tech company in admin position and, um, a paralegal role opened up. And this is way back in the day. We're talking like 15 plus years ago now. Um, and I started working there. And within six months, I was like doing the attorney work. And they sent me to law school. And I, I worked all through law school and did the bar exams while I was at that firm for, for 10 years. And that's how I, I ended up being, you know, getting into this, uh, into this field. Wow. And so share with me a little bit about what you've been observing in terms of trends. You know, whether it comes to immigration or it comes to the integration of the two countries, what what have you been observing during your time, you know, as an immigration law expert? Sure. So um, one thing I will say is that, um, and I'll get to where we are right now. um, I wouldn't say it's post-corona, but sort of semi-post-corona. But um, U.S. immigration law has never, ever been a walk in the park. It's always been difficult. Things got really a lot more difficult the rules and regulations after 9-11 there started to be like just it just got tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and that was across the board um you know with with family-based immigration and with corporate immigration um and so um things have always been difficult so now fast forward to 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 where we are now 
Um, you know, over the past, you know, 2020 was, was a nightmare for U.S. immigration. It was a great year for, for tech companies. The investments came in and, you know, it, it didn't stop. And I, I thought it would, but I was wrong about that. Um, they just kept coming in and the companies, you know, were getting acquired and so on and so forth. And, and, um, but, but Corona, you know, really we were dealing with travel restrictions, visa bans, travel bans. So th- this was putting a, an effective stop to U.S. immigration, you know, for, for more than a year and a half, embassy closures. So um, we saw a little bit of a shift um, during that period, especially when the visa ban was on, when the main types of work visas used by tech, tech companies, they were, they were, you know, they were shut down completely for, for a very long period of time. We saw a shift more people that were, let's say, founders um, that were already in the U.S. They were asking for green cards, like let's initiate a green card process because we mm. don't know what the future is of U.S. immigration. Right. There might be a standstill forever. So there was that. Um, and the other thing was, you know, and then, then there was the bigger question of how do we get there, even though we, there have all these restrictions. So our, our firm, um, we, we pretty much like learned how to be like the experts on, on the exceptions, because there were a list of exceptions to any rule. There's an exception. Um, you know, how do we get around the embassy closures? How do we fit these people, um, into these really, really narrow exceptions? Um, and I think we managed to, to weather it that way. So that was, you know, until, um, the, the beginning of the new administration when Biden came in. Also, you know, Trump's policies were also very restrictive, like on top of the Corona stuff. Um, so when the change, we saw the change of administration, um, everything came back and big adult, you know, like huge, um, more companies wanting to relocate and quickly, really, really, really fast. So I'd say over the past three months, um, we've seen a really like a stampede, pretty much a stampede mm-hmm. of tech companies saying we need to get there and we needed to get there yesterday. That makes a lot of sense. And, and so, you know, how, how, how much variance is there in, in the work that you do? So is, is it traditionally roughly the same process for, for the companies that are coming to you and you're repeating that process and you're, you're polishing it? Or is it, is it sort of on a case-by-case basis? You have to really form a strategy behind it. Um, it is on a case-by-case basis. I mean, there are a limited, you have to, we have to start with the fact that there are a limited number of work visa options for, um, for Israelis right. to start with. Okay. So we're dealing with like five, six categories that we need to fit, um, each, each employee into one of those categories. And sometimes there are no options. Like tech companies will come to me sometimes pre-investment, for example. Okay. They're like, we're planning on raising around and, you know, it's going to be X, Y, and Z. Yep. But we don't have it yet. We need to get there. And I say, thank you. I hope I'm not, this doesn't come as a surprise. You guys aren't ready yet. Okay. But in a year from now, you are going to be ready. And here's what you need to do to be sure that you hit the ground running. Okay. Once you get that investment. So, you know, there is a strategy behind it. Um, each case is different. There are nuances. Um, I also deal with, um, someone, you know, Gil Dibner uh, of Angular yep. Ventures. So I'm, I'm an advisory uh, partner. Um, on, on Gil's team for Angular. And, um, we need to deal with, with, with companies that are not Israeli companies. So we deal with, you know, cause Gil invests in European companies as well. Yep. So we're dealing with different particular challenges, um, that have to do, that are not, not to do with Israelis. You know, for example, there's still a travel ban on from Europe and we're dealing with a number of European companies. So we're still having to get around that. So I think the answer to the question is, is definitely not. It's, it's, you know, we're dealing with a, a, a certain, a uh, set amount of categories that that we have to fit each person into, but each case is is different for sure. 
And that makes a lot of sense. Now, taking this more to the side of the entrepreneurs that are, you know, it's not just multinationals that are that have this consideration, but I guess, you know, today's startups that are raising fu- the venture capital funding and they're, they have employees in both areas and they need to start thinking, asking them the, themselves those questions. You know, it's very confusing. It's almost like a black box, you know, dealing with all this immigration stuff. Then, you know, what, what should I as a young entrepreneur as I go about my journey, when should I be thinking about this? When when is the right time to go and consult with an immigration uh, firm? Uh, what, what, how do I make sure that it's not surprising me, so that when I actually need to do something about it, then I'm blocked and I have to now chase after myself? Okay, so I think I mean the easy answer is is as early as possible. So you know, as an entrepreneur, that you have a plan, and you know that your target market is the United States. And you know that the chances are you can only, you know, rely on consultants and, and remote control management for a certain amount right. of time. And eventually you are going to need to get there. Okay. So, and you're busy and you're trying to raise funds and you're trying to develop the product and whatever you need to, you know, as soon as you know that this is what you're going to do, that you're planning on expanding to the U S that is the time to come and advise um, with an immigration firm. Like I said, I, I always, I think I make people, um, I upset people sometimes and they're, they're, you know, they, they're like, well, what do you mean? I don't have any options. Well, you don't have any options right now, but you will have an option in the next year. If you do, as I say, lay the groundwork for your process. And it might not just be for you. It might be for multiple employees. So as early as possible to avoid those uh, pitfalls and delays in the process. And believe me, there are plenty of them along the way. Requests for evidence, background security checks, and so on and so forth. So as you're getting approached by new companies, do you find that, you know, the, do you find that they're surprised by the process that, you know, how, what's sort of the reaction and the reception? Because obviously, you know, when we're coming from the tech world and we're building a product, we're ready, we're, we, we're ready for anything, right? And we're ready for things to move very quickly. Sometimes hiring can take a day. It can also take months, but, but we're prepared to move as quickly as possible, especially when we know we want something done. So there's this dissonance now because sometimes things aren't in our control, especially when it comes to immigration, right? Um, so from my experience, um, most uh, entrepreneurs and founders are not coming to me with zero knowledge. They've either spoken to their VCs, um, they've spoken to their colleagues, um, you know, in, in, in the high-tech ecosystem. They're coming, they're coming with some kind of idea. Um, there are, of course, a couple of rumors, you know, that are flying around. I don't know who started them, but they some of them come with this, like, you know, I'm really kaha vakaha, you know, like this, someone told, told me this and that. So they had yep. this like idea and then it's like sort of got like some sort of twist on it. That I, yeah. So, so they kind of have an idea and, and, and I'm glad that they do. Um, and most of them are not coming with like with, with zero knowledge. So that actually, it helps in a lot of ways because, you know, they can rely on other people's experiences, um, you know, just for the general process. Of course, like we said before, it's case by case, but they're getting a, you know, kind of a sem- semi idea of, of what to expect here. And I, I right. try, I try my hardest to, you know, especially with the Israelis, they want, you know, to know everything. So I pull out every possible question, um, that I've, that I've heard over and over and over again and try and answer it for them in advance, um, so to minimize, you know, the, well, that's a surprise, you know, or that's a surprise, you know, but again, you're dealing, we're dealing with a field that is, is, is uncertain, you know, and in uncertain times. So, trying to manage those expectations. Tell me a little bit about where we're headed and what you've been observing with the trend. What, what, what can we expect 
you know, things changing, the process changing, things becoming easier, harder throughout the years? Is there a better, a bigger understanding of the globalized world and the need to be dynamic? Or is it, you know, still very much there's politics and then there's business? Um, I think that the change of administration has definitely um, helped matters. It's definitely helped matters. Um, I, I don't want to say, you know, because Biden got in, things are like just going to be a walk in the park. As I mentioned, it's never been a walk in the park, and I don't think it's ever going to be a walk in the park. Um, but uh, over the past couple of years, there have been, you know, some additions that were really helpful, especially to Israelis. Uh, the introduction of the E2 Treaty Investor Visa um, was a big, 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 huge deal. Um, I don't think it's the greatest thing for startups because it, it requires them to maintain 50% uh, Israeli ownership. And that's difficult with when you're getting like, you know, rounds from foreign investors. But it's, it's right. something which is awesome. Um, uh, there's been a, a revival of um, the new inter international entrepreneur rule, um, which helps. It gives sort of like it's not a visa, but gives special special permission to, to enter and work for certain um, entrepreneurs who have gotten invest investment from qualified investors. Um, that's, I, I think there was a lot of excitement about that. Um, but just to, just so you know, in 2020, there were absolutely no adjudications for that. And I won't get into the ins and outs of it because it's kind of, it's kind of a complex thing. Um, but I think that, um, certain changes need to be made to, to that rule in order to make it work, um, and be more readily available for, for, um, for the general public, basically. I just think that it's, that the requirements are, are, um, they're unreasonable and they're the kind of things that make it impossible to get it. But again, it's, it's hope. Hope is on the horizon. Um, you know, so someone who's willing to like dip into those waters, you know, we'll be happy to help them out with. So that's uh, something good for, for tech companies. Um, very, very cool. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, these folks that we're talking about here, tech companies, I mean, I have the, the privilege and honor to represent some of the top companies and, in, in, in you know, in, in Israel, these are companies that like, you know, they started, I remember a few years ago, we sent um, Yotpo, for example, uh, we sent one person to the U.S. and and look where they are now, you know, amazing. Um, amazing. Like, you know, you can't, it's undeniable. Like, you can't, how could you say that, you know, a company like that hasn't contributed to the economy in the U.S. creating jobs for, for hundreds and hundreds of employees? And that's just one example of, of many, of many. Uh, so I think we're going in a good direction. Yeah. Jennifer, take me a little bit to back to your childhood. What really fascinated you as a kid, you know, before law? What what really sparked your curiosity? Um, you know, I was always interested in, in international travel. It was always um something of interest to me. And I think that growing up in the United States, we as Americans are a little bit um ethnocentric, you know, because <laughs> the United States is such a big place. You know, so, you know, I, I, I got to travel a lot in the United States, but I think that when I came to Israel, um, Europe was was more accessible and something that was a kind of a dream of mine. And thank God I got to, to do this was was to go to Japan. I was always wow. super interested in, in the culture, uh, in the food, in the architecture and the language, just everything about Japan. So in September 2019, I got to go for, for about 10 days. And it was everything I expected and more exceeded all expectations. And I hope I, to, I get it. to go again now with all these, you know, with all the restrictions, but one day. I hope so too. And what, what really draws inspiration for you, you know, either on a day by day basis or, or an event that happened, what really inspires you? Um, well, I think one of the things that I actually took up over the past uh, year and a half is, is Muay Thai. Muay Thai. It's a, it's a mixed martial art. 
um, it's, it's Thai kickboxing. So I go to this, like, and nobody like believes that I do this because it's just like, wow, Jen's doing that. But I go to this <laughs> hardcore fight club called fight TLV. Okay. It's a Kikar Atarim on the, the waterfront. And I train twice a week with, with world champion, um, um, Muay Thai kickboxer, Adi Rotem. And I think that, um, aside from, it requires for me a really, really high level of, um, of physical and mental focus. And I think that it sort of um, integrates very well with my law practice. It's kind of something that's difficult to explain why that is, but it's just a certain uh, mental and physical connection that sort of completes completes me as a human being. So it's been really a life changer, uh, this Muay Thai, and, and I'm honored to get to do it with someone who's, you know, who's a world champion. Incredible. And what are three words that you would use to describe yourself? Three words that I would use to describe myself. Um, independent, definitely independent, uh, sensitive, and minimalist. Less is more type of gal. I love it. Jennifer, thank you very, very much for the time and for the energy and the inspiration. Uh, I learned a lot and I really want to thank you for it. And uh, stay safe and stay healthy. And I, and I hope that you get to go to Japan sometime soon. Thank you so much, Michael. Really appreciate of it. Course. Take care. Thank you. Okay, bye.